Welcome, this is Gary Zacharias with the Apologist Bookshelf. I'd like to look at the Compact Guide to World Religions. I haven't done this book before. Uh, Halverson is the general editor, Dean Halverson. And uh, people in the back really rave about him. Look at the back cover here. Uh, Franklin Graham says it brings together some of the best apologetics material available anywhere. This is a great help to those of us committed to carrying out the Great Commission. Uh, the head of Jews for Jesus, Moshe Rosen, said uh, this book not only details the beliefs and practices of non-Christians, but offers clear pointers on witnessing, inviting you to respectfully communicate with people of each religion how Jesus fulfills the needs of every soul. And I really like that statement that uh, because I was looking, for example, what I want to cover this uh, podcast is his chapter on Buddhism. By the way, I say his chapter. There are others that write for it uh, as well. They do different chapters. Uh, Dr. David Clark, Dr. Norm Geisler, uh, anyway, four or five other people. But this is Dean Halverson's chapter on Buddhism. And that's what I really would like to get across and what I saw as the real value of this. It's pretty easy to look anywhere and find a list of, well, you know, what is Buddhism? What does it believe? And who started it? And all that kind of stuff. But this book is so good because it tells you what you can do to interact with a Buddhist and to interact effectively. So I'll get to that. In fact, I'll probably spend more time on that than the opening part here, which talks about how many people are Buddhists and how they all get started. So I'm going to go pretty quickly over that. Uh, he estimates something like 6% of the world's population is Buddhist. He said it's kind of hard to tell because it assimilates itself into a culture and kind of influences the culture's underlying beliefs. But uh, you've got like Myanmar, uh, Cambodia, Laos, Sri Lanka, Thailand, mainland China, Hong Kong, Japan, Taiwan, Vietnam, Bhutan, Mongolia, Tibet. So a lot of countries are heavily influenced by it. Well, we, we probably all kind of know the general idea of the founding of Buddhism. So again, I won't spend a lot of time on this. Siddhartha Gautama in the 500s BC uh, grew up as a wealthy person. His father had well tried to protect him from, shelter, sheltered him from all suffering as much as he could, but he, he saw it. Uh, he went away from the palace, went in the city, he saw that. So he left his family and his life of luxury. He wanted to find out, how do I deal with suffering? How, how do we eliminate it? And he thought, well, maybe being an ascetic, you know, just doing away with anything pleasurable. So uh, he ended up getting himself so weak, he just about died. And so he sat and sat and thought about it. And after a period of time, he attained enlightenment, became the Buddha, which means the enlightened one. And he began thinking of his path to enlightenment as kind of what he called the middle way, because on one end, you've got affluence. The other end, you've got asceticism. And they both made him suffer. And so then he said, no, we've got to go a different way here. So it says after about 45 years of spreading his message, he died. And then, of course, it's grown since then. Now, they, there are all sorts of divisions within Buddhism. And I don't think I'll take the time to go into that. Uh, so I will skip over that. There's several splits within it. So again, you can look that up if you're interested. But let's focus on the beliefs. He said there are variations within the religion known as Buddhism, but they do have some common beliefs. And the basic belief is what they call the Four Noble Truths. The first one is there's a lot of suffering in life. That's what life consists of. Second Noble Truth, 
everything is impermanent and it changes. And so we desire things that are always impermanent and changing. A third noble truth. The way you liberate yourself from suffering is to eliminate desire. You have to stop craving these things that are imper impermanent. But how do you do that? Well, that's the fourth noble truth. You eliminate desire if you'll follow what's called the Eightfold Path. And it's things like right understanding, right thought, and then right speech, right action, right livelihood. The final three, right effort, right awareness, and right meditation. And again, I don't think I'll go through all of you know what you do to accomplish all of that. Halverson then talks about what's the goal? Well, the Buddha's goal was to eliminate suffering. But the ultimate, that was the immediate goal, but the ultimate goal was to get liberated from the cycle of death and rebirth, cycle and cycle and cycle. You're dead, you're reborn. How do you cease craving? And then you eliminate your attachment to these beliefs of the illusory self. And as we begin to eliminate the attachments, then the effects of karma are not going to have anything to attach themselves to. And that releases the individual from this realm of illusion. And you reach the state of nirvana. And that's their equivalent of salvation. But nirvana for Buddhists is like ceasing to exist, basically. Uh, you're not annihilated, but it says, I mean, here's uh, the Buddha describing nirvana. And uh, I got to admit, I'm scratching my head. There is a sphere which is neither earth nor water nor fire nor air, which is not the sphere of the infinity of space nor the sphere of the infinity of consciousness, the sphere of nothingness, the sphere of perception or non-perception, which is neither this world, neither sun nor moon. I deny that it is coming or going, enduring death or birth. It is only the end of suffering. But basically, uh, you disappear in this situation. So here's what I want to get to. Spend more time here. First, Halverson is going to talk about hindrances to evangelizing uh, in the Buddhist uh, world. But then I want to spend more time on suggestions for evangelism. So what are some of the hindrances? Well, he says, first of all, the person who comes from a Buddhist background will probably reject your message. Uh, they, they're coming from a totally different perspective. They probably don't understand at all the concepts of Christianity. It might be more of misunderstanding than rejection. And somebody once said, most Buddhists have never heard the gospel because they have misheard it. So I said, it may take you more than one attempt to try to communicate that. So it often takes several attempts to learn how to communicate the gospel clearly to a Buddhist. And thank goodness Halverson helps us out. He's got two charts here, really, really effective charts. The first one is just simply God and Christianity contrasted. It's on page 61 of his book. And again, I'm not going to take the time on that, but it, it goes into areas of God, humanity, what's our problem, what's the solution, how do we solve it, the means, and the outcome. So let me just pick like a couple of these. So what is God? It's an abstract void to the Buddhist. To Christianity, it's a personal God, self-existent and chainless. What about our problem? We desire things that are temporary. That's the Buddhist view. We suffer because of consequences of our sin. There's the Christian view. So at least you can lay out the differences to start with. Here's another issue that gets into the, the way of trying to evangelize another hindrance. They believe that there are many paths to God. Well, what do you do with that? Well, I think I like this a lot. It says the emphasis for the Buddhist is on the path that you take. In other words, to the Buddhist, Salvation is based on human effort. You have to make it up the mountain, right? Many paths to God. You're walking that path, but you've got to keep walking it. 
That's not good news. You've got to strive with Buddhism. Also, this many paths to God, the biblical reasoning says, no, there's an exclusive way of salvation. Why? The concept of reconciliation, right? There's got to be a restored relationship that's been broken. So maybe you could say this to your Buddhist friend. Assume you're responsible for having broken a relationship with a friend. You've committed some kind of wrong. How many ways are there to restore that relationship? And I think the Buddhist is going to say one way. you got to confess and request uh, forgiveness. Well, that's what the Christian message is. We have rebelled against the moral authority of God. We've broken our relationship with him. So salvation means we've got to be reconciled to God. And he's done that through Jesus Christ. So I think that's very effective. Here's another hindrance to trying to deal with a Buddhist, to evangelize with a Buddhist. They will often see Jesus as not being unique. He's a spiritual master. He's, he's like the Buddha. And he's got a chart here. Halverson has a chart, Buddha and Jesus compared. Now, for example, what does the Buddha say about himself? He does not claim to have a special relationship with God. In fact, he didn't really think anything about God's existence was important. It didn't help you to understand that to escape suffering. Christianity says Jesus did claim to have a special relationship with God. So I think that's a, that's a really powerful way to do that. Uh, let them see the differences. Jesus is unique among all world religious leaders. And I've talked about that. If you want to go to my website, apologeticsforlife.org, apologeticsforlife.org, I've got to talk about the uniqueness of Jesus. There's no, something else you can do when you're talking about Jesus not being unique to the Buddhist. It says, how about having your Buddhist friend read the book of John to learn what Jesus claimed? And then they mentioned that there's a, a nice book out that gives us a Bible study actually put out by Campus Crusade for Christ called The Uniqueness of Jesus. Now, that came out in 1983, so obviously it's older, but I'm sure it's really up to date. They also suggest reading Josh McDowell's book called More Than a Carpenter. So I like that a lot. Now, here's where I want to spend a little bit more time. Uh, suggestions for evangelism. How about number one? How about connecting with them to show we have common ground? Uh, we have some huge differences with Buddhists, but there's some similarities that we could build. That We all agree desire can cause suffering and personal peace will come when we abide with things that are permanent. It's best to live a moral life. Self-discipline is good. Meditation and prayer are important. And compassion is a great virtue that we should nurture. So we agree with them on that. What about number two? What are, what's another suggestion for evangelism? Pick up on that issue of desire, because the Buddha teaches desire is the source of all suffering. Well, notice what it says. you got to stop desiring, but that's a desire. See, that's, that's contradictory. Uh, he says, why don't we point to what Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. So you have to have the right desire. You don't want to eliminate desire. you got to right, have the right desire. Number three, Alverson says we should be open about our faith in a personal God. That's the difference between Buddhism and Christianity. God is personal to us. For them, ultimate reality is just an impersonal emptiness or void. Now, how does that help, having a personal God? It's amazing. He can love us. He can hear. He can answer our prayers. He can empathize with our suffering. A void can't do that. And so we can point out how we found peace and joy knowing God loves us, he takes care of us, and we can pray to him. Here's another evangelistic tool, 
point to God's permanence. Buddha teaches permanence is only found in the void, but we want permanence, yes. But their permanence is you, d- you cease to exist. You have to disappear into the void. But Christianity says God is personal. We can find permanence in him. We don't have to deny our value and our existence as persons. We don't disappear. That's not our salvation. We're joined in an interpersonal relationship with God. How exciting is that? Number five, another suggestion for evangelism. Be clear about the matter of sin and the opportunity for forgiveness. So in Buddhism, when you sin, there's no vertical problem with that. It's uh, a a matter of ignorance or karma. There's a moral principle, kind of like a natural law, but sin carries no consequences uh, regarding the void. So what does that lead us? Well, if sin is a matter of ignorance, then according to the Buddhists, sin is something we have to deal with on our own. It's our problem. It's not God's. The void doesn't care. And it takes a lot of lifetimes for us to keep working on this. So the consequences of our moral actions are inevitable. Sin can't be forgiven. There's no forgiver out there. Like he says, you don't ask forgiveness from the law of gravity. So karma can't forgive. But with Christianity, there is a vertical dimension to sin. God is transcendent. God's personal. He's holy. Every relationship is governed by moral laws. So when these laws are broken, the moral laws, then we break that relationship. Same thing when it comes to God. So the cause, uh, once we sin, it's wrecked our relationship with God. Well, because God is personal, though, he can be concerned. He longs for us to be in fellowship with him. And since he's personal, he can forgive our sins, which he did through Jesus. And he's faithful so we can trust him and we can count on him. And then at the end of the chapter, and I think this is wonderful, he says, why don't we use bridges to the good news? He said there are some concepts within Buddhism that could actually be used as a bridge to help Buddhists understand the gospel. So let me tell a story here that he ends on. It's from Buddhist literature, and it ties in so wonderfully with Christ's crucifixion. Here's the story. Prince Mahanama of the Shakya clan and a cousin of Buddha had great faith in the teachings of Buddha, and he was a faithful follower. Well, at that time, a violent king named Virudaka of Kosala conquered the Shakya clan. Now, that's Mahanama's group. So the prince, Mahanama, goes to the king, the bad guy, and he sought the lives of his people, but the king wouldn't listen to him. So then he proposed to the king, he said, would you at least let as many prisoners escape as could run away while he himself would remain underwater? in a nearby pond. So that violent, vicious king said, okay, he thought, I'm not going to lose very many people. He'll just stay underwater for a minute or so. Well, the gate of the castle was open as Mahanama dived in the water and the people rushed for safety. But Mahanama did not come up. What did he do? He had sacrificed his life for the lives of his people by tying his hair to an underwater root of a willow tree. Now, isn't that a great illustration of Christ's death? It talks about enslavement. The Shakya clan was enslaved to a wicked king. We're enslaved to sin. John 8, 34, Romans 6, 6, and verse 16. One dies for all. Mahanama's death results in the freedom of the entire clan. Well, Christ's death resulted in our freedom from bondage. Matthew 20, verse 28, Romans 5, verses 18 and 19. And this act was motivated by love. 
It was freely chosen. He voluntarily gave up his life because he loved his people. That's what Christ did. Look at John 10. Look at John 13. And then finally, salvation is free. It's just free for the taking. All he had to do is just run from the kingdom. And people can receive the gift of salvation by just placing their faith in the atoning work of Jesus. That's Romans 3, verses 20 to 24. It's Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. So let me stress this book again. It does it in every chapter. It tells you about the religion and it tells you how can you interact because just having head knowledge is not enough. You want to have head knowledge, but then you want to interact with somebody so that you can make a difference in their life for Christ. Once again, The Compact Guide to World Religions, not a hard book to read, um, packed with a lot of good information. It covers Islam, Buddhism, other world faiths, New Age, secularism, Judaism, Taoism. So uh, I, I know you'd get something out of it. And it's been around for a while, about 30 years, I guess, 25, 30 years. So I bet you could find a used copy someplace. The Compact Guide to World Religions, Bethany House Publishers. Well, thank you for spending some time with me.